morning everyone. My name is Zoe and today, as I record this, it is Mental Health Awareness Day. Writing this podcast has been quite a challenge for me, if I'm honest. Constantly questioning if I'm saying too much, not enough, or even if I'm going to be able to read the words from the paper okay. I've wound myself up thinking of any kind of excuse I can not to do it, but I know that won't help me, as this happens often and it's ended up being quite the therapy session for me. A lot of this comes down to my own struggles with mental health, as I suffer with high-level anxiety and severe obsessive-compulsive disorder. The two of these can either work hand-in-hand or fight against each other. For instance, people with OCD experience very regular intrusive thoughts that can cause anxiety and interfere with everyday life. Many people with OCD carry out repetitive behaviours or rituals and become and become more anxious if they cannot complete them. On the other hand, people can become extremely anxious about completing an upcoming task, but the obsession of taking control and getting it done forces the person to overcome, which is the perfect example here for me and writing this podcast. I've not always been aware of this in myself. I grew up surrounded by my fair share of ill mental health, and always considered myself as one of the strong ones, one of the more, unsure of a better way to put it, normal people in my family. My earliest memory experiencing any kind of ill mental health being at the age of five and getting shipped off to my uncle's house so my dad could take care of my mum and my newborn brother while my mum was suffering from postnatal depression after losing her dad just days before my brother was born. I have vague memories of conversations within my family about my grandma having episodes and being sectioned, but back then I didn't understand what that meant and us children were just used to our grandma's slightly odd behaviour when it came on sometimes. Back then mental health was not a discussion, it wasn't talked about and it almost felt like a secret that was kept within the walls of family homes. My dad lost his dad and started to show more and more signs of his own anxieties and was later diagnosed with depression and high-level anxiety. To meet him, though, he was the light in any room, the life and soul of the party, the man everyone wanted as their friend. Again, a mental struggle so well hidden. The effects of ill mental health on those that suffer from it can be tragic So in sharing this, I hope it raises awareness and helps someone speak out and get the help they may need. I want to tell you all about a girl I knew, a girl called Lisa Marie Bestwick. She was the bravest girl I knew growing up. I called her my little mummy, but she was in fact my big sister. Lisa was nine years older than me, so like many nine-year-old girls with a new baby sister, she treated me like a baby doll. She wanted to push my pram, wanted to dress me, feed me, basically be my little mummy. We grew up close, us three girls. I was the youngest, Lisa the oldest, and my sister Dawn two years younger than her. As my sisters got older, they left home and had children of their own, making me an auntie at just eight years old. Lisa had two boys and was the best mum. Everything she did was for them. She worked hard, kept her home beautiful, and her boys healthy and well looked after. Years passed with a whole new generation of our family and everything seemed fine until my 16th birthday. 
I came home from school to a day that I didn't realise would be the day I had lost who I knew as my sister, my little mummy. All the doors and windows were locked. Lisa was frantic inside trying to escape. My mum pulled me through the back door while on the phone and quickly locked the door behind me again. My grandma was there with my two young nephews and I was ushered upstairs with them out of the way. I tried to keep them occupied while also trying to work out what on earth was happening. A car pulled up, swiftly followed by a police car. There were two ladies who came in to speak to my mum and Lisa and not 20 minutes later they were leading my sister out to their car and gone, taking her with them. I went downstairs to find my mum in tears. She said she was crying because she hadn't sorted my birthday card and presents out in time for me getting home. Now I was only 16, but I wasn't easily that fooled. I'd just witnessed my sister in hysterics and being taken away by people I'd never seen before with a police escort. What is going on? My grandma took my nephews home and my mum started to explain what had happened. Lisa had been showing some odd behaviour, claiming people were following her, a taxi driver tried to kidnap her, builders working on the house across the road were FBI agents watching her and a voice in her head was telling her to do things to help her hide. She had got herself that much in the state. She had taken the boys to my mum's house and locked them all in, closing the curtains and spilling all this information out. But as my mum called the mental health crisis team, Lisa believed she was calling the people who she thought was after her, which is why she was then trying to escape the window she had locked when I came home. Lisa had been sectioned under the Mental Health Act and would be assessed in hospital at the Radbourne unit in Derby. There was that word again, sectioned. What does this mean? Being sectioned means you are being detained or admitted to hospital according to a particular section of the Mental Health Act and can be held and treated against your will. This is because it's felt you do not have sufficient capacity to make an informed decision about your treatment at the time. But what was wrong with her? Where had all this come from? Days passed. My mum and grandmas shared the care of my nephews between them while we waited to find out what was going to happen. Lisa was eventually diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia. Schizophrenia is a complicated mental health problem related to psychosis and changes how a person thinks and behaves. About one in every 100 people get this diagnosis at some point in their life. Lisa spent some time in the Redbourne unit while medical professionals worked with her to prescribe the best medication for her. There seemed to be hope and in time she got her life back on track and we all saw a little glimpse of the real Lisa returning. She moved into her new house with her sons and everything seemed to fall back into place. Unfortunately, in Lisa's case, this was not the end. Over time, she began to withdraw. Her once spotless house was messy and unkept. Her once well-dressed self became scruffy and dirty when she had always taken so much pride in her appearance. She began drinking heavy, substituting her medication with alcohol because she thought it blocked out the voices better. My nephews had started getting themselves ready and out to school in the mornings because their mum couldn't bring herself to get out of bed some days. Lisa was spiralling and it wasn't long before she was again sectioned and admitted to the Radbourne unit. This illness took everything. Lisa lost her job, 
her home, her children, and eventually, in 2013, at the age of 31, her life. Rather than getting the help she needed and the correct medication to support her in living her life, she instead self-medicated with drug and alcohol abuse. She became dependent on alcohol so much that in the end she lost her life to cirrhosis of the liver and multiple organ failure. The help was there if only she had realised. Towards the end she hid her struggles so well no one knew just really how bad things had got. Maybe this was the shame, the guilt or just plainly not knowing where to turn. The loss of Lisa hit our family hard, followed by the death of my dad, just ten weeks later. Me being me switched to control mode. My feelings weren't felt, my grieving didn't start. I took over the duty of sorting. This was my coping mechanism. Keep busy and make sure everyone else is okay. After all, I was the strong one, the most normal one of us all. A couple of years had passed and life was so different. People were missing from my family, who I missed every day. But I had put all the bad in my own life behind me and I was living a new life of my own. I was engaged, I had just had a baby girl and I was finally happy. Despite this, there was something there, like a dark shadow in the back of my mind, something I couldn't shake, that just didn't sit right in my brain. My solution, again, take control. Just like I had when we had lost Lisa and then my dad. I threw everything I had into controlling every aspect of my life and would not let anyone do anything for me. To me, this was best. If I had control, I wouldn't let anything bad happen. But with this came mental strain. I was exhausted. I was burning myself out and I couldn't stop. And I certainly couldn't let anyone else see I was getting weak. Of course, this wasn't a good way to be. And eventually I did break down. I found myself in a doctor's room being prescribed multiple medications to treat anxiety. Sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. And I kept finding myself back at square one again. I was in Lisa's vicious cycle. Looking back now, I can personally see the importance of raising awareness surrounding mental health. All it took for me was a poster on the office notice board which read, wear a hat for Mental Health Awareness Day. I'd not worked at Motus that long and I'd certainly not discussed my own mental health with too many people, but everyone was talking about it, what hat they were wearing, what they were wearing it for, Suddenly, this subject of mental health wasn't so taboo. People did talk about it, and although I, it seemed like a normal day at the office for most, this was the trigger I needed to get answers for myself. I went back to see my GP and wanted to know exactly what was going on in my mind. I was diagnosed after a short time with high-level anxiety and severe OCD. But aside from this, I was referred to six weeks of professional counselling, which was one of the best things I have done for my own mental health. I never knew how much I had bottled up inside of me, which was screaming to pour out, and how much this was severely impacting my mental health. I knew I had something going on, but these counselling sessions helped me understand so much more and come to terms with what had happened in my life. The thing with our brain is... <clears throat> that we don't have to be physically impacted to experience brain trauma. 
Our life experiences can cause major emotional trauma and my counsellor helped me understand how this was affecting me. I needed to let go of trying to control it. Today, I cry when I need to cry and I ask when I need a bit of help. I still have my battles with my own mind, but instead of hiding them, I let them out. I speak up and I often write things down just to release some of the weight inside and instead of trying to control everything alone. I am not, I'm sorry. I am now a mental health first aider and a Motus People champion. So I'm hoping by sharing this, I might just reach one person who needs to put down that weight. I'll wear green and tell people it's for Mental Health Awareness Day in the hope it also triggers someone else into getting help for their own mental wellbeing, just like it did for me that day wearing a hat. Thanks for taking the time to listen. And for anyone who needs a chat, please know I am here. Thank you.